If you would, start in John 16 this morning. John chapter 16. Have you enjoyed this morning? Some of you aren't too sure. (laughs) If you've enjoyed it, how can anybody tell? Interesting question, isn't it? How can anybody tell you're showing joy? A little bit of review. At times we've been talking about what it means to be disciples. And a verse we've been talking about the last few times is this one. How do you prove you're a disciple? One of the ways, and that's how my Father's glorified, is you bear much fruit and prove you are actually a disciple. And so we're trying to figure out together what does it mean to bear much fruit and how do we do it? We've been in Galatians 5 a couple of times and it reminds us a couple of desires that we should have as disciples if we want to bear much fruit. The first is you should have a desire to serve others. Galatians 5.13 said you were called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. A second desire from the same chapter should be you want to walk in the Spirit. Or the other phrase is be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. You want the Spirit to lead you. That should be your desire as a disciple. Here in John 16, what direction will the Holy Spirit lead you? Look at verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what directions the Holy Spirit take us when we're being led by him, when we're walking with him? He guides us into all the truth, which we know is the word of God. He reminds us what Christ has said, what God has said in his word, and he glorifies the Son, who then glorifies the Father. And so that's always the direction he'll take us. So what do we have to do to be able to follow this direction, these directions that he'll be giving to us if we're walking by the Spirit? And we saw this. We have to decide first to be in agreement in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Can two walk together unless they be agreed, in agreement? That's what Amos says. So I have to decide ahead of time I'm going to be in partnership with him, and second, I'm going to listen and focus on what he tells me. Because I'm walking with him, I'm being led by him, evidently he's trying to tell me something on a regular basis. And so we got these from Romans chapter 8, which had some more phrases dealing with the Spirit. We're supposed to walk according to the Spirit, we're supposed to live according to the Spirit. That's live in partnership, in harmony with the Spirit. And because we're doing that, we need to then set our mind on the Spirit. Listen to what he says, and then do it. And when we do that... And we're being led by the Spirit. The development then in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is the fruit of the Spirit. We're bearing much fruit. 
And the fruit is listed as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I remind you, as we had before, this is not fruits of the Spirit. This is fruit. This is a package deal. This all comes together when the Spirit is working in us and we are being led by Him and obeying Him. But, even though it's a package deal, we need to break it down to see how does this show itself? How do we make sure we understand this is being manifested through us? And last time we spoke on this, we talked about love. Go back to John 15, 12 and 13. We've already seen in Galatians 5 that love is our basis for serving. We're supposed to serve one another in love. The fruit of the Spirit is mainly for serving other people. That's why it's given to us. Here in John 15, verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That's the supreme idea of love, giving yourself completely for somebody else. And so we looked at this word agape. When it's used as a noun in the New Testament, it always refers to God's unconditional love. The love that puts others first. That's a projection of His love. That's motivated by what's best for others. And that's not natural to us. We usually love what's best for us. And we prefer what's best for us. And we love that. No. That's our natural love. This unnatural fruit of the Spirit love is going to be, I then want to do what's best for others, what serves others. Now, love includes all of the other aspects of the Spirit. And so even though we're on the second one, which is joy this morning, that aspect, we understand it has a connection to love because one of the characteristics of love is that it rejoices with the truth. And so love includes all these other aspects, but we still want to see how they are manifested in this fruit of the Spirit that comes. You're here in John 15. What other connection do we have? Verse 8 is where we just started this morning. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. If I abide in his love by obeying his commandments, doing what the Holy Spirit reminds me to do, joy is then a natural connection. My joy is full. But only if I'm abiding in love. Keep the other phrase in mind here, too, from verse 11, that my joy may be in you. That's an important aspect of this. So it's connected to love, as it's connected to the other aspects. But we're going to start, as we usually do, what's the definition of this word that's used? We have the English translation. What's the word that's used? And it's a word that actually just means calm delight. And most of the time we look at that and say, what in the world? That doesn't sound like joy to me. Calm delight. That's because in the New Testament, this word is mainly used to describe your outlook on life, your reaction to difficulties, your response to circumstances. That's usually how joy is manifested. And so other words that would be similar to this, synonyms, 
would be you're pleased, you're satisfied, you're positive, you're hopeful. You'll find in the New Testament hope and joy are tied together all the time. And so my outlook on life should reflect that I'm pleased with what's going on. I'm satisfied. I have a calm delight in what's happening. Now, when are we to be joyful? Easy answer. Rejoice in the Lord. That was quick, wasn't it? And he says it again. Again, I'll say, rejoice, in case you missed it the first time. First Thessalonians, he says it again, rejoice always. This is an always thing. That's a tough one. What if I don't feel like rejoicing? Things aren't going well. Things are going poorly. I feel bad. He throws in this, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You've got to be kidding me. Even in sorrow, the answer is yes. Go back to Psalm 16. How can we do this? How can you rejoice in the Lord always, even when things aren't going well? How do you show joy? In Psalm 16, we start discovering what our causes, our reason for joy should be, the reason for the outlook on life that we have. And David gives some reasons here in Psalm 16, starting with verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What were David's reasons for having joy all the time? He had chosen the Lord as his portion. The Lord held his lot in his hands. He had an inheritance. He got counsel. He got instruction. The Lord was always with him, so he wasn't shaken. He wouldn't abandon him. He made known to him what the path of life was, and whenever God is present, there was always joy. How do we summarize that? David says, my reason for joy, my cause for joy, is thinking about who God is and what God has provided for me. It's that way all the way through Scripture. In Psalm 51, where David is confessing his sin with Bathsheba, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's what brought him joy. The situation didn't. In 1 Peter 1, New Testament, though you have not seen him, you love him. Talking about Christ. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How can I rejoice if I haven't seen him? Because I understand I can believe in him. Romans twelve twelve says, Rejoice in hope, the hope that only God can bring. How about Psalm 100? little kid's picture here. No, it's not my grandson's. Is this how you worship this morning? Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Was that your worship this morning? Was it with joy? 
And then he says, here's why we can do that. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Throughout scripture, we're seeing the reason we can always have joy is we remember who God is and what God provides for us and what his word says. And here's the question, who directs us to that? The Holy Spirit, we've already read that. He's the one who guides us in all truth. He's the one who reminds us what Christ and God have said. He's the one who glorifies Christ and God. So evidently, he is regularly reminding of these things that I should have joy every time I remember them. Now, let's get into some of the difficulties of this. How about joy and happiness? Is there a difference between joy and happiness, or are we talking the same thing here? Now, I will remind you this. In the Old Testament, there was a direct connection between joy and happiness. You're still in Psalm 16. Look at verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad, happy, and my whole being rejoices. They were connected together. Psalm 31.7, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. Psalm 32, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We know happiness is normally seen. Sometimes we think, well, joy is not that way. No, joy also should be seen. And sometimes joy can be quite emotional. Shout for joy. So we can't say, oh, well, there's no connection between happiness and joy. Yeah, there is. Many times. Sometimes not. But is there a difference between the two? Go back in the New Testament to book of James, almost all the way end of the New Testament. James chapter 1, if I say that chapter, most of you understand what it's about. It's about testing, isn't it? About trials, about things we don't enjoy at all. But in verse 12 it says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. The word blessed there is a word that includes happiness. With trials, when are you going to be happy? When you've stood the test, when they're over. When they're done, when the circumstances are better, then you're probably going to be happy because happiness tends to be affected by circumstances, doesn't it? If circumstances are going well, we feel happy. If they're not, we don't feel happy because happiness is based on feeling. It comes from the outside in, whatever affects our feelings. Well, is that what we're talking about with joy or is joy a little bit different than that? And it is different because joy should be determined by commitment. Same chapter, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Not when they're over. Count it all joy when you're in the midst of it. Why? Verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Joy is different because it's based on knowledge, not based on feelings. And who reminds us of the knowledge we should have? There's the Holy Spirit again, isn't it? Who's supposed to remind us of Scripture, remind us what we're supposed to know if we're listening to Him. We'll see if you listen to the prayers this morning. Did Jesus have joy or happiness on the cross? 
Now you've got blank faces. Oh, you didn't listen to Paul's prayer, did you? Flip back a page, Hebrews 2. We know it wasn't happy. The cross was not a happy time, but it was joyful. 12.2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You realize in the midst of that suffering, Jesus had joy because he knew he could be committed to what the Father was going to do. He could trust the Father. How about worst case scenario? Here's Habakkuk chapter 3. Here's worst case scenario. When the fig tree does bud, there are no grapes on the vines. When the olive trees don't produce, the fields yield no crops. When the sheep disappear from the pen, there are no cattle in the stalls. I will rejoice because of the Lord. I will be happy because of the God who delivers me. You see happiness there, but when you're happy... When you get delivered, when the circumstances change. Well, what if you're in the midst of it and the circumstances don't change? What's he say? I will rejoice because of the Lord. I'll be calm. Why? The sovereign Lord is my source of strength. I'll be delighted. Why? In the midst of the worst situation, he enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain. That's joy. Now, how do we let the Holy Spirit show this joy through us? There is a difference between the two. We're going to see that again in a second. First, I want to remind you what this joy, again, is not. In the book of Matthew, there's a parable of the sower and the seed. Remember that? It goes on different types of ground. And when Jesus explains one part of it, verse 20 and 21 of Matthew 13, he says, After what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Now I said he received with joy, but that's not the kind of joy we're talking about. Why? He has nothing in himself. There's no root. And as soon as the circumstances go negative, what happens? I'm getting rid of this stuff. This isn't worth happening. That's not the joy we're talking about. Go to Romans chapter 15. Back to Romans 15. When we're talking about joy, it's not the power of positive thinking. It's not putting on a happy face. That's joy, right? I'll grin and bear it. Nope. It's not feeling good all the time, feeling happy all the time. That's not what it is. I can't make myself joyful. What has to take place in Romans 15, 13? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We're not talking about the natural ability of trying to be happy, but this is an unnatural fruit of the Spirit. We'll be pleased, we'll be delighted, When circumstances are good, when circumstances are bad, because the God of hope has filled us with this, and it's brought out through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're back to walking in the Spirit, being directed by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. If I'm listening to the Spirit and obeying Him, the natural result, which is unnatural for us, will be joy, fruit. Now, we still have another couple of problems. Because we want to talk about this joy as a fruit of the Spirit. How do I know when I'm displaying joy as a fruit of the Spirit 
and not just happiness. Because some says, well, what about personality differences? Some of you, when you wake up in the morning, you are already upbeat and everybody just wants to smack you. (laughs) Right? Others of us are completely introverted. We're not very emotional. And so some say, well, what about that? Because this person always looks happy and this person never looks happy. Well, that's because this personality differences have more to do with happiness than joy. You can be unbelievably upbeat all the time and not have joy. And you can be very unemotional and very introverted and show joy. It's not always going to show the same way, but it's still going to show because it's going to show the way God says it has to show, not the way we think it has to show. So don't think, oh, the happy people can do this, but the rest of us can't. No. And secondly, you're wondering, what does this have to do with serving? Because we said the definition was calm delight. This is our outlook on life. This is our reaction to difficulties. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you find difficulties in conflict when you serve people? I was a Christian school administrator for a number of years, and I loved it when a teacher would say, boy, teaching would be a great job if I didn't have to work with kids. <laughs> or even worse, if I didn't have to work with parents. The kids were usually fine. It's the parents that usually gave them the problems. As soon as we start serving people, you can understand that difficulties in conflict will challenge our attitudes. It has everything to do with serving. So how do I tell if my joy that I think I have when I'm serving is a fruit of the Spirit? Well, here's the first way. You'll have joy while you're serving. You'll have joy while you're serving. I can't tell you how many people Melissa and I have run into in the last, I don't know, six, eight months, restaurants, stores. You can tell they just hate serving you. Have you figured that out? They hate doing what they're doing. They hate being there. You're an intrusion on their space. I mean, it's, it's amazing. But you know what? It's not just out there. It's also in here. Because I see a lot of Christians who seem to have no joy while they're serving. I'm doing my duty. There's no fruit of the Spirit there. Look back to Hebrews 12, or Romans 12. We're supposed to be using our spiritual gifts to serve the body. Who gives us spiritual gifts? Doctrinal question. Who gives us spiritual gifts? The Holy Spirit. Who gives us these gifts so that we can serve and edify the body? Well, how are we supposed to be using those gifts if we're paying attention to the Holy Spirit? You're in Romans 12, verse 6 through through 8. It's not going to use the word joy, but you'll see the attitude. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Can you see the joy in there without the word? When we use our spiritual gifts, we should be able to see, others should be able to see joy while we're serving if it's of the Holy Spirit. Well, how about this? In our social context of serving one another, we're members one of another, aren't we? That's part of our service. 1 Corinthians 12 says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, 
all rejoice together. Can I rejoice when somebody else is getting something good for them or does it bother me? Can I rejoice with them? You're still in Romans 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Can I do that? Do I others see that joy that I have for what they're having in their life? Or is it, I can't believe they got that. I should have gotten that. Oh, I'm really happy for them, though. No joy. How about when there's conflict even in the church? Interesting in 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. That implies there's been some struggle, some conflict. You mean even in restoration of our relationship in the church, we can have joy in doing that? We should comfort one another, agree with one another. If the Holy Spirit's at work, we can do be delighted to restore our relationships with each other. How about when you greet other people? Receive him, the Lord, with all joy and honor such men. If the Holy Spirit's working and we're greeting each other between services and when we're here, when we come in, there should be some exhibit of the Holy Spirit saying, go talk to that person. And remember, we talked about love. Love elevates the stranger, the neighbor, not just our friends. Do others see joy in us when they come into the body? Is there suffering in service? You betcha. Can I have joy in suffering? Matthew 5, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you're listening to the Holy Spirit when you're suffering, you can still have joy because you're reminded what's happening here. Look back at Romans chapter 5. What's the Holy Spirit going to remind me when I'm serving people and they're causing a problem and it's a suffering situation for me? Romans 5.2, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I mean, in the midst of suffering, the Holy Spirit can remind me, hey, you understand this is all building your character, and you should be delighted because of that. Is serving others sacrifice? Is it a sacrifice to serve others? Go back to Romans 13. Romans 14. Romans 14. Can you have joy giving up your rights for other people? Most don't. Remember I said this is unnatural? It's not natural to have joy. Be delighted that I can give up my rights for somebody else. Here in Romans 14, verse 13, Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it's unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, don't destroy the one for whom Christ died, so don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. 
For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of you getting what you want to eat and drink, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. You mean I should have joy when I'm giving up my rights to serve somebody else? The answer is I should if I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. I should be delighted that I can do that. How about in your giving? Second Corinthians 8, in a severe test of affliction, the churches of Macedonia, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on your part. So each one should give what he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Did you give with joy this morning? Or do you give it all? You know, if the Holy Spirit's working, you want to give with joy. Not keep it for yourself. That's why it's unnatural that the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to give this, and I want you to be happy that you gave it up. How about on your ability to be endure, endure while you're serving, to have strength in serving? Rather than dragging yourself in here on Sunday to serve somebody and say, I don't think I can do this. Well, then you're not listening to the Holy Spirit because the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're listening to Him and you have joy because He's reminding you what a great opportunity you have to serve, you will have joy in serving. That will be your strength. How do I know the joy I'm showing is fruit of the Spirit? Whenever I'm serving, if I'm listening to the Holy Spirit, I have joy while I'm doing it, and others can tell. They can tell by my attitude. They can tell by my energy. They can tell by my effort. For those of you who are emotional, you're just giggling. The rest of us don't do that, but they can tell. There's a second aspect of this. I know it's the fruit of the Spirit when I fulfill my purpose. I have joy from serving. I get my joy from serving. If I ask you, I was going to ask you this morning, I decided not to until now, what you get the most joy from doing. For most of us, serving wouldn't be anywhere near the top of the list. And that's because we don't spend a lot of time walking in the Spirit, listening to the Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is working, I get my main joy from serving Him. Here's what Jesus said about His service. Luke 10, in that same hour, He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've hidden things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to Your little children. He had joy that His ministry was being understood by little kids. The early church brought the gospel to the Gentiles. And when the Gentiles heard that, they rejoiced because they could accept the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, but the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They got joy from serving, from sharing the gospel. If other unbelievers see the way you joy, have joy in your life for God, will they follow your faith? Faith. 
And you say, it's just not me. You're right, it's not. I can't do this of myself. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of you in here that have little joy in your life. And it's one of three reasons. Either number one, you're trying to manufacture your own. You're confusing joy and happiness. You think it's all about being happy. I've had more people stop serving because they said, I'm just not enjoying, I just don't, I'm not enjoying it. What they mean is it doesn't make me happy. It's a lot of work. It's a problem. You think? If you're looking for joy, the happiness, you don't worry about it too much. You hope it happens. But the joy is better. And if you're trying to manufacture your own, it'll never happen. Or secondly, you're not listening to the Holy Spirit remind you who God is and what He's done. That in the midst of any situation, the Holy Spirit's more than happy to say, remember what God's done for you. Remember who God is in this. That should make you pleased. Why should our worship be joyful? We're singing about God. And it's amazing we can sing about God and not think about Him. Or this is probably the better reason. You're not serving Christ much. You don't have much joy because you're doing little serving of Christ. Some of you, your, your time at work during the week is the biggest chore you have. You hope for the weekends because you forget who you're really working for, who you're serving at work. And it's not the boss you hate. If you listen to the Holy Spirit to say, you're, you're working for me. You're working for God. This should show, you should be showing delight in your work. They should see a worker that's so much different than anybody else. Again, if we don't walk by the Spirit, none of this happens. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Why is this important? Isn't it just important enough that I at least just serve? Who cares if I do it with joy? Right? What difference does that make? And I hate to tell you, we think that many times. At least I showed up. Well, you know what? Maybe it's better you didn't. The children of Israel in the Old Testament were disciplined numerous times by God, weren't they? They didn't obey what God said. They kept disobeying the commandments over and over. We understand that part, don't we? But I came across a passage in Deuteronomy 28. The first part we understand. He tells Israel, All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep His commandments and His statutes He commanded you. They shall be a sign and wonder against you and your offspring forever. We understand that part. But look at the next one. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things, therefore you will serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. Have you ever seen that? You mean part of the reason he disciplined them was they wouldn't show joy in serving? The answer is yep. They didn't think it was important. They just went through the duties. If I do my duty, that's all I need to do. Wrong. Not what God thinks. How about this one? Hebrews 13, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. What's he saying? If we're not serving with joy, it's of no advantage to those who are serving. We might as well not even be doing it. Leaders especially, we're talking to you here. If you're not doing your ministry with joy, you're not benefiting anybody in the body. 
Here in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5, Paul says to this church, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the Lord in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Where'd they see a picture of joy that they could imitate? From Paul and Timothy. And then they demonstrated that to the other churches that were there so they could see an example of that. If everybody imitated our version of joy, how good would that be? Because you realize we're supposed to be giving an imitation that others can follow. Disciples want to make disciples. What's the ultimate reason? In this you rejoice. Even through the trials. Because this is going to be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate here. We rejoice because when we rejoice, it's going to result in praise and honor and glory going to him, not to us. How much joy are you going to show today? It comes out mainly by serving. comes out also in your reaction to circumstances, no doubt about that. But if you're walking in the Spirit, you should be demonstrating the joy of the Holy Spirit to others. Are you going to bear much fruit? And prove to me my disciples or be a person nobody wants to be around? Let's pray for it. Father, you're the God of joy. You give us everything we have. We should be delighted in you and what you have given to us, delighted in the salvation you've given to us. We should have a different outlook on life than everybody else because we know you are at work. This morning, will you help us to want to serve you? Help us to listen to your spirit. Help us to follow his directions and then be amazed at your joy that you'll show through us. We pray this in your name. Amen.